This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone. This episode is going to be a little different from the usual format of the show. This one is a collection of really strange cases that are not quite long enough to have a full episode, but are so incredibly odd that they deserve a place in the podcast. These are the headlines that give you whiplash as you do a double take. You know, the ones that you can't believe are true. Also, and maybe I should have started with this, these completely insane cases were submitted by listeners like you. So, with that, welcome to True. My name is Eric Crosby. This first story was sent in by a listener in Sarasota, Florida. Just a quick warning, this story may not be suitable for vegetarians. In November 1997, Troy Byron and his best friend, Ross Luckuck, went to their favorite bar, the Janali Inn, located in South Sydney, Australia. As the 20-year-olds drank heavily, they decided to enter their names in that evening's raffle. The bar had a tray of raw cuts of meat going to the lucky winner. Yes, a meat tray was the prize, and no, that's not the bizarre part of the story. Troy and Ross probably never imagined that fate would be smiling at them that night, but over the noisy crowd and loud music, they heard Ross's name called. The fine tray of butcher-prepared meat offerings was his. Feeling luck was on their side after the exciting raffle win, the two friends headed over to the pool table to show everyone how the more intoxicated you are, the better you are at the game. Just as the epic showdown was about to start, an observant bartender caught sight of Ross's bare feet. The casual look was unfortunately a health and safety code violation, and the by-the-book bartender asked Ross to put shoes on or he would have to leave the premises. Where was he going to find suitable footwear on such short notice? Lacking a pair of shoes at that particular moment, and faced with the very real possibility of getting kicked out, his creative neurons started firing. Looking around, his eyes landed on the fine selection of raw meat, neatly displayed on the tray nearby. The raffle prize included a couple of pork chops. An obvious solution had just presented itself. Using tape he took from behind the bar, the MacGyver of fashion strapped the fatty chops to the bottom of his feet, declaring the problem solved. The safety and health conscious bartender agreed, and the drunken duo commenced operation Rule the Pool Table. But as is the natural cycle of fashion, the progressive pork sandals began to disintegrate, leaving a glossy trail of grease on the floor. 
it was only a matter of time before their stunning luck would turn to horror. No one in the bar that night could have imagined the consequences of slippery pork fat coating the tiled floor. And then it happened. As Troy lined up his shot during his turn at the pool table, his feet slipped from underneath him, and he hit the floor hard. His left arm was left fractured, and as he described the pain to hospital staff, doctors feared he would never be able to lift heavy items again. 20-year-old Troy, a professional upholsterer, was devastated when doctors later confirmed that his fabulous fabric career was over. The damage to his arm, they told him, might one day even require an elbow replacement. Facing the news like a champ, Troy hired a lawyer, no doubt from an ad on the side of a passing bus, and sued his former bestie and the Janali Inn. The crack legal team argued that Ross wore fatty pork chops on his feet, which created a slick surface causing their client to fall, inflicting a lifetime of chronic pain and suffering. They also argued that the bar had neglected its responsibility to ensure a clean and safe establishment, leading to grievous bodily injury. Oh, and that the bar should have stopped serving the heavily intoxicated pair earlier. In June 2002, an Australian court agreed that the bar was in fact liable for his injuries and ordered it to pay over $61,000 in damages. However, in a courtroom twist, the same judge sided with Ross, who now goes by Pork Chop Shoe Guy. In his statement, the judge said that Ross was too drunk to realize that he was wearing pork chop shoes and was not responsible for ensuring the safety of bar patrons. That was, of course, the responsibility of the bar. The court went a step farther and ordered Troy to pay for Ross's legal fees. Justice for Pork Chop Shoe Guy and his former best friend victim. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Thank you to a listener in Denver, Colorado, for submitting this one. In June 2017, Italian police were called to a building located next to the famous St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The residential building was owned by the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which is responsible for investigating sex abuse within the church. It's the same building where Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger lived for over 20 years before becoming Pope Benedict XVI in 2005. 
So it was curious to authorities when they were notified one evening that loud strange noises were coming from one of the units. Neighbors also told police that they were concerned about the continuous flow of visitors coming and going from the same apartment. Visitors, they said, who were acting very odd. That particular unit was occupied by a church official named Luigi Capozzi. He was a Monsignor and the appointed secretary to a high-ranking Vatican Cardinal who was one of the Pope's most trusted personal advisors. When police arrived and entered the apartment, they immediately realized that the strange noises reported by concerned residents were emanating from an all-male orgy. They also right away noticed several partygoers engaged in the use of cocaine. Lots and lots of cocaine. It turned out that Monsignor Capozzi had been operating a cocaine smuggling operation and had amassed a sizable inventory. Authorities investigating the case discovered that Capozzi had been using official Vatican cars to move the drugs. Similar to diplomatic government license plates, the cars and passengers in them had immunity from police inspections. When officers arrested the Monsignor on various drug-related offenses, they reported that he was so high that they had to take him to a medical clinic for several days of detox. This wasn't even the first time he was caught with drugs. According to reports, the Roman Catholic priest had overdosed not once, but twice before this incident. He had recently been recommended for a promotion from Monsignor to Bishop, which may explain the drug-fueled orgy celebration at his apartment. But that move is most likely on hold for a while as Luigi Capozzi is reportedly spending an undisclosed amount of time at a spiritual retreat somewhere in Italy. A Vatican cardinal was present at a drug-fueled gay orgy, and Pope Francis reportedly knows about it. Close papal advisor Cardinal Francesco Coco Palmerio was at the 2017 gathering at the apartment of his secretary, busted by Vatican police for his cocaine-fueled party. Thank you to a listener in Boston, Massachusetts for suggesting this next story. When 44-year-old Beaulieu Baisley met 24-year-old Melurbe Francois, it was love at first sight. The older man was a cross-dressing voodoo priest, and he invited the younger, homeless man to live with him in his North Miami area home. Baisley used his voodoo powers to earn a living, charging fees for casting magical spells, some used to cause harm and others to heal. The voodoo priest reportedly had a room in his house dedicated to performing rituals and ceremonies that often included animal sacrifice. Like most relationships, the couple had their ups and downs. But unlike a typical argument, the voodoo priest would threaten his housemate, turned lover, with magic weapons. The older man was allegedly quite possessive, and during heated arguments, potions, curses, and magic powders weren't off the table. However, the dysfunctional romantics continued living together, despite obvious signs that things weren't working out. It wasn't uncommon for the priest to get dressed up in his finest women's clothes and head over to the local cemetery to collect souls for voodoo rituals. That's exactly what he was doing one day in February 2013, when he texted Francois to meet him back at the house. Francois had been spending the day in the streets, panhandling. When the two men returned to the house, a shouting match ensued. According to Francois, the voodoo priest, who was always a jealous man, started screaming that he wanted him dead. 
He was apparently angry that his younger lover was speaking to a girlfriend earlier in the day. With that, the priest reportedly grabbed a bottle of magic yellow powder and started threatening Francois. Fearing for his life as the magic powder was being waved in front of him, the former homeless man did what he thought was necessary to survive. Unfamiliar with the dark arts himself, Francois ran to a kitchen cabinet where the couple kept a firearm. The terrified 24-year-old grabbed the Glock 40 caliber, and as the voodoo priest started walking toward him, with the magic powder now in his hand, he fired three bullets. Still scared that his older cross-dressing voodoo priest lover had survived three direct hits, he left the house. He ran to a nearby service station, bought cigars, and called 911. A short time later, he was arrested without incident, and was informed by authorities that the bullets had in fact killed Baisley. Francois was charged with first-degree murder, but he argued that it was a clear case of self-defense. This sparked concerns by the court that this case was going to be much more complicated. If Francois truly believed that the magical powder was a weapon based on his religious convictions, he could have a legitimate case. However, that situation was avoided when Francois accepted the prosecution's plea deal, which was negotiated, quote, to provide a sense of closure and finality with the case. Pleading guilty to the lesser charge of second-degree murder, on January 20th, 2016, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Thanks to a listener in Toronto, Ontario, for sending along this strange one. 21-year-old Jennifer Zumak was reported missing by her boyfriend, 22-year-old James Randall, on January 17, 1999. The couple lived with their young son in Orangeville, Ontario, about 50 miles northwest of Toronto. The young couple reportedly had difficulties with their relationship leading up to her disappearance. Randall had a temper and often lashed out, even once going as far as abducting their five-week-old baby. That incident happened a couple of years earlier, in December 1997. Jennifer reported the missing boy to police, but it took an agonizing five days before he was safely returned. At the time of the abduction, she and Randall had been separated, but they reconciled and eventually moved back in together, just over a year before Jennifer was reported missing. The Orangeville Police Force, along with the Ontario Provincial Police, launched an investigation that involved search teams with support from helicopters and specially trained canine units. However, after a year had passed with no trace of Jennifer, the authorities offered a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. 18 months after Jennifer was first reported missing, police got a huge, albeit bizarre, break in the case. In September 2000, Officers pulled over James Randall, for unknown reasons, not far from his Orangeville home. He was riding his motorcycle, and when police approached, they noticed a box strapped to the seat behind him. When they looked closer, they could see that, wrapped in plastic, was a severed human head. Randall was arrested on the spot and later charged with first-degree murder. Dental records would later confirm that it was, in fact, the head of Jennifer Zumak. A week later, authorities were seen by residents searching a wooded area about 25 miles north of Orangeville. 
It took them two days, but they found a shallow grave with the headless remains of Jennifer Zumak. James Randall would eventually enter a guilty plea of first-degree murder, but to this day, no one knows why the man decided to take the head for a ride on the back of his motorcycle. This one comes to us from a listener in Austin, Texas. In a tale of culinary etiquette thrown out the window, a bartender in the Austrian capital of Vienna was charged with a noise violation for, well, burping. The belch was so loud that it caught the attention of a police officer who deemed it so offensive that a ticket and fine were issued. The ticket indicated that the infraction violated public decency. The incident took place in February 2016 at an amusement park after a very hungry Eric Miak inhaled a Donaire kebab. BuzzFeed News, they got a hold of him. He told BuzzFeed that he bought a kebab, quote, with a lot of onions like I always do. He said after his meal, he took a big sip of Coke and a few, min few minutes later, he got the urge to belch. He says, quote, I burped liberating. He actually wrote that part on Facebook. Everybody knows the feeling. Then he told BuzzFeed News it was a normal belch. It didn't make it into my top five, but the sound may have made an echo because he was sitting under a train bridge. <laughs> Disgusting. The bartender may not have noticed the officer standing nearby, but the officer now noticed him. The absurd story went viral in the nation of roughly 2 million people, and soon there were groups of supporters calling for his full acquittal. The word spread on social media and soon caught the attention of the kebab chain that served up the gas-inducing meal. Seizing on the publicity opportunity that the incident had created, the company, located in Turkey, offered the bartender an all-expense-paid trip to Istanbul. While there, the company's CEO went even farther by covering the $75 fine. It looks like the bartender continued to get the last burp, because in April of 2017, an Austrian Court of Appeals ruled that there was no evidence he unleashed the mother of all burps as an intentional affront to the officer. With this important precedent established, Austrians have embraced a nation free to belch as loudly in public as they see fit. Perhaps the rest of the world will one day follow their example. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? Get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. A huge thanks for listening and for all of your amazing reviews and ratings. The big
Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.